today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. First John 4, 4, where it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Give us 4-4 vision, Lord, so that we understand when the enemy attacks, you're greater than the enemy. When when a force comes against us to steal our joy, to steal our hope, to steal our our boldness, to steal the witness of our life, to steal our our zeal and our passion for the things of the Lord. Lord, give us 4-4 vision to understand that greater are you that's in us than he that's in this world. In his message today, Pastor David encourages you to ask the Lord for insight into the battles you will face in your life. When the enemy attacks, the Lord is stronger and he can conquer all evil in your life. You only need to ask the Lord for this kind of insight. Embrace the fact that he who is living in you is greater than he who lives in the world. You have nothing to fear when you have the God of creation by your side. Instead of worrying about future battles, fill yourself with the Word of God. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 as he continues his message from empire to exile. Naaman goes down to Elisha, and again, as he comes in, he actually brings a letter to the king of Israel, and it freaks the king of Israel out. He starts tearing his clothes. He says, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? He figured it was a trick that Syria was doing, again, to be able to attack Israel. Well, they finally get him down to Elisha, and as he goes to Elisha, uh, Naaman is actually going with this expectation that Elisha would come out, uh, I don't know, touch him, uh, maybe wave his jacket in the air in front of him, maybe you know, slam him on the forehead, whatever it might take. He, he figured he was going to do something big and powerful, say something that sounded really spiritual and really powerful. Well, instead, Elisha doesn't even go out to meet the guy. As a matter of fact, he, he sends his servant, Gehazi, out. He says, uh, you go out and tell that guy. Go out and tell Naaman. He needs to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. Well, for Naaman, that was a huge insult. Number one, that Elisha didn't recognize his authority and his status to come out and actually meet with him. But then for Elisha to tell him to go and dip in the Jordan River, 
The Jordan River is a dirty, muddy river. If you've ever been to Israel, it's just a muddy river. I don't care what time of year it is. And I'm sure he looked at that and said, no, we have real rivers over in Syria I could have dipped in. And that's what his complaint was. As a matter of fact, he was so insulted, his pride was so uh, attacked that he began to head back to Syria. Well, fortunately for him, His servants were more reasonably headed and they talked him into, again, following the prophet's directions. Look down in verse 14 of chapter five. So Naaman went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. You know, it doesn't tell us here that Did he dip once and he saw a little bit of change? He dipped a second time and maybe a little bit more change? A third time? Oh, I can see. I believe that he probably dipped once and nothing happened. I believe that he dipped twice and absolutely nothing happened. How faithful are you, Naaman, to do what God is speaking to you to do? I've tried that three different times and all three times it's failed. Are you willing to do what God has called you to do? Oh, I've tried that five or six times, Pastor, and it it still hasn't really worked in my life. God told him to dip not six and a half times, but seven times. And once he had done that seven times, according to the saying of the man of God, it says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. It's amazing, not only how powerful that healing was, and again, the supernatural move of God in the obedience of those that would follow him, but it had such a powerful impact on Naaman's life Look what he says in in verse 15. He returned back to the man of God and he and and all of his aides and they came and they stood before him and he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all of earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Well, forget about the gift thing for a moment because uh, Elijah does not take it. But he makes makes a, a statement, a declaration of faith right here. He says, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. But it's not only a declaration of reality. We're going to see here in just a moment that he wants, in verse 17, he says, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Not only was there a declaration of faith as he saw the faithfulness of God, but now there is a commitment of his life, a follow through of his life that's not going to be very easy to do. He's taking two load of dirt back to Syria in order that he might have purified grounds, I believe, to be able to make those sacrifices to God. But you see, he's also in a very uncomfortable comfortable position in his place of leadership. Look what it says here in verse 18. 
Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. It's an interesting concept. To still be in a situation where he's involved in this pagan worship, but yet he knows, you know what, I'm here, but it's not a part of me. We lived for a year and a half in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, you know, Sin City, you know, you know that place. Actually, there's real people that live in Las Vegas, and there's actually real churches that live in Las Vegas. But, you know, in those churches are people that work at the casinos. There's this constant struggle. Man, I, I work at a, can I work at a casino and, and still be a Christian? And, and the big battle is, is the casino in you or are you in the casino? They're working there. They're a part there. But again, can they remain? Can they maintain their witness in the midst of it? I believe that there's a deep and a powerful truth here in this portion of Second Kings with this whole deal of Naaman. I believe that he was changed powerfully, but he was also in a position that, again, he couldn't get out of very easily, but his heart was going to remain true to God. Even with this miracle event, you would think that Naaman would go back and he would tell his boss, the king of Syria, you know how everything is good, man, Israel's a great place. Well, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, Syria still came against Israel. And yet, as they came, we we find out here in the next chapter 6, as the Syrians would come against Israel, the Lord would give Elisha their battle plans. And then he would warn the king of Israel where and when that was going to be taking place, where they're going to come in, what they're going to be doing. So once the king of Syria realized what's going on, they found out that it was Elisha that was giving him the information. He was determined he was going to kill the prophet. So there in chapter 6, in verse 14, it says that the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. In the morning, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, then he wakes up, he goes outside, and the first thing he sees is this massive army of Syrian soldiers camped on the hillside outside of Elisha's home. He goes running back in to warn Elisha, but Elisha, he's not moved by this, this battle forces that are there before him. As a matter of fact, he told Gehazi, Gehazi, you need to change your focus, son. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Look what he says in verse 16 of chapter six. He tells Gehazi, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Gehazi, the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So in other words, the Lord's forces, the Lord's army were all around him. Beloved, that's why I pray that the Lord would give us as individuals, as families, as a church, 
true 2020 vision in the battles that are coming up against us. And as a matter of fact, not even 2020 vision. Let's call it 4-4 vision from 1 John 4-4, where it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Give us 4-4 vision, Lord, so that we understand when the enemy attacks, that you're greater than the enemy. When when a force comes against us to steal our joy, to steal our hope, to steal our our boldness, to steal the witness of our life, to steal our our zeal and our passion for the things of the Lord. Lord, give us 4-4 vision to understand that greater are you that's in us than he that's in this world. Give us eyes of faith. Open up to us, again, that supernatural work of your hand, Father. Help us to trust only in you. Well, as the Lord opened the eyes of the servant of Elisha, he actually blinded the eyes of the Syrian army. And again, as, uh, as Elisha came out, he led them and says, oh, let, let me help you get to where you're going. And these guys, they, they weren't able to really understand or see what was going on. There was a spiritual blindness that was going there. And so he led them and he led them right into the city. And of course, the king of Israel, he was ready to slay them all. But Elisha instructed him, no, you treat them humanely and then send them back to Syria. Well, you would hope that uh, things would have settled down, but it didn't. But again, Elisha knew that that was the right thing to do. More battles continue in both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Various kings rule. They're succeeded by others. Once again, in the Israel, the northern kingdom, none of the kings are righteous. While in Judah, the southern kingdom, the kings are sometimes good, sometimes not so good. As a matter of fact, it runs from one bloody coup to, to another in, in both of these kingdoms. With all of the changes and all of the insecurities and all the instabilities that we find in both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, while all of that is happening, there is a nation that has been rising up to great power just to the north of them, and that's the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrians had actually been around for for many, many years. They were a great empire uh, previous to this, but politics and power in that whole Asian and Middle Eastern area that ebbed and flowed, swayed back and forth, the power of the Assyrians did the same thing. Beginning back as far as 2000 BC, the old Assyrian Empire that was dated at uh, 2025 to 1378 BC. They, they actually began about the time of Abraham, to put that in your biblical chronology. They were rising up in power during that time that Abraham left, Ur of the Chaldees. And again, it was, that was in the land of the Assyrians, where he left from. The Assyrians, again, at that point in time, they, they rose in power. Then they moved to a time frame of what was called the Middle Assyrian Empire. That's around 1365. 
to 1050 BC. Put that in your biblical chronology. That's about the time when David becomes king, right around the year 1000 BC or so. So David taking the throne of Israel and this second rise of the Assyrians are there. But David and the nation of Israel are so strong. Solomon comes in, they're still so strong, they're able to fight off any of the forces of the Assyrians. So now here we are at this point in time and we have what's called the Neo-Assyrian Empire and that was in existence from about 911 to about 612 BC and that's about where we find ourselves now and Israel has just been a mess as a nation because they've gone from wicked and weak kings that have been moving away from God further and further every chance they get, not listening to the prophets of God They've been literally setting themselves up for the downfall. So when we get to this point in time, we flip over to chapter 17. There's a man by the name of Hosea, not Hosea the prophet, but Hosea. And he is now the king of Israel. By this time, the Assyrians were were so powerful, they had come against the nation of Israel multiple times already at this. Now Israel is a vassal state of Assyria. They're paying tribute to the Assyrians to keep them from coming in and wiping them out altogether. And actually, all this is, it's just stalling money because you keep paying this money, but yet you know the Assyrians, they're gonna eventually come in and take you. You're gonna run out of money eventually. And when you run out of money, they're coming anyway. So at this point in time, they've been paying tribute to the Assyrians, but now Hosea, uh, though subject to Assyria, though he's a, a wicked king, now he's not as bad as some of the kings before, but he's still a wicked king. Well, he comes to a point where he decides on his own, he's tired of paying tribute to the Assyrians. So he makes his allegiance with Egypt to the south and he stops paying tribute money to Assyria. And we find ourselves in chapter 17, verse four, where it says, therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. He went down and arrested Hosea, put him in prison. And now the king of Assyria went throughout the land of Israel and went up to Samaria, besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them by harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of Medes. Look with me, if you would, because the events that happened in chapter 17 are very powerful. It's a lot of reading, but in the midst of this, I want you to get the scope of what's taking place. Second Kings chapter 17, verse seven, and says that so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. And they walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did things against the Lord their God, things that were not right. Beloved, be sure your sin will find you out. There is nothing secret that won't be revealed. 
It says here, verse, they built for themselves high places in all of their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense in all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away from before. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets. In other words, he kept sending prophets, kept sending prophets to tell them, no, what you're doing is wrong. There's gonna be judgment. He says, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the laws which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants and prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed after idols. They became idolaters. They went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God that made for themselves molden images, two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. But also in verse 19, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but they walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land, Assyria, as it is today. We could go on and on and on here, but let me scoot ahead. Down in verse 29. Every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places, which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Binoth, and the man of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nebhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharites, they burned their children in fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Seraphim. So they feared, so they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, and yet they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they had carried away. What he's speaking about here is all these other nations that are around there, they're still doing all of these wicked and, and profane things. 
They're still serving these other gods. They say that they fear the Lord. They fear Jehovah, but it's not impacting their lives. I wonder how often that's the testimony of people who claim that they're Christians. I love Jesus. We mouth with our words. But what happens with our lives? In the secret places, in the desires of our hearts, the directions of our lives. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible right here on The Open Word. Make us more.